All right. Let's uh, grab a seat, if you would. And uh, grab a seat and grab your Bible and turn to Titus. We are in the book of Titus. We're studying through the book of Titus. We'll be in it for a little while now. And if you are here for the first time, we, uh, we preach through books of the Bible and we take our time trying to understand the context of what the passage is because we know that there's power in understanding the context of a passage and uh, wanting to really understand what God has to say as it was written to the various recipients of the letters. And so we are in Titus chapter 1 and uh, the topic at hand that we've been studying is leadership. Leadership. Uh, as you know, everything rises and falls on leadership, whether that is in a, a, the secular world in any sort of business or that is in the church or in a school or in anywhere, even in the home. Uh, everything rises and falls on the leadership. And we know that there has been uh, over the years a crisis in leadership. Uh, there just aren't a lot of very good leaders anymore. And God has been very clear uh, in the establishment of his church and the blueprint of his church that you have to have godly leaders in place to lead a godly church. You need healthy leaders in place. And uh, the book of Titus is a blueprint for a healthy church. Uh, you can just look here with me in chapter one. It, it's all about the leadership. That's what we're taking our time trying to understand the leadership. Chapter two is about the people in the church. There's five categories of people that are in chapter 2 that consist of the church family, and he addresses uh, those people in chapter 2. And then chapter 3 is about being zealous for good works, kind of turning your attention out into be a witness to the world. That, that is the book of Titus in a nutshell. Uh, let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, that is what we're studying, those three chapters which consist of a blueprint for a healthy church. And we're spending a lot of time on the leadership because... As I said, as the leaders go, so goes the church. So goes every organization. It all starts with the leaders. And we know this, we've looked at this for the last four weeks uh, together, verses 5 to 9, that the main thing that, that God requires in a leader of the church is integrity or character. Character is king. Integrity is everything. Put a man who is above reproach in place as an elder of the church. And we saw all these qualifications of an elder. Uh, it is a high bar. It is a high standard. And uh, those who meet the standard and desire the position of an elder should be those who lead the church. And it was Titus's job to find these men all over the island of Crete in these different, different homes and put them in place as leaders in the church. There's all these characteristics, but there's only one skill that is required of an elder. Only one. And that skill is to be able to teach the Word of God. And that's what we're going to study this morning. Elders of the church, leaders of the church, must be men of integrity. They must be above reproach, and they must be able to teach the Word of God. So let's look at this together in Titus chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9 and make our way through the end of the chapter, uh, just reading it uh, first, and then we'll dive into what it has to say. It says this, verse 9, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, speaking of the elders, 
so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And he gives a little illustration here. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Verse 13, their testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they not that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Let me just pray for us as we jump into these verses together. Heavenly Father, uh, again we come uh, to the precious word of God that you have so graciously given to us. And we seek to understand what it has to say because we seek to know you better. Lord, help us this morning as we are here comfortably in our seats, Bibles open. Help us to understand the truth. We need your spirit to do that. We can't move forward. It does us no good to try to under, understand these things on our own. So help us, Lord. Give us clarity. Give us ways that we can change our thinking. Give us ways that we can to change our hearts and remove sin from our lives so that we can draw closer to you. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The skill at hand here by the elder is the ability to teach. The ability to teach. Look at what it says in verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, which is another passage that we've been looking at, which describe the, the very same characteristics of, of an elder, say it uh, even easier than that, it says simply that he must be able to teach. He must be able to teach. Meaning this, that the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, the shepherds of the church, must be able to handle the, handle the word of God in such a way that they are an encouragement to the rest of the body. They can comfort people with the truth. They can defend the truth, and they're able to contradict those who go against the doctrine of the church. The word there uh, for doctrine, is it says, uh, he must be able to hold to the trustworthy word as taught, or the, the sound doctrine there, as it says at the end of verse 9. The word, the word doctrine, it simply means teachings. The teachings of the Bible. It means the, the body of truth that is taught in the Word of God. It's the truth that was taught in the Old Testament by the prophets. It's the truth taught by the disciples in Christ in the Gospels and in, and in the letters written to the various churches and people. Uh, it's the, the embodiment of the truth. It, what it's not is this. It's not just application. 
It's not the elder's job just to draw application and, and to give little, uh, little, little applicational points here and there, but to, to truly defend the teachings, the doctrines of the Word of God. They need to understand the truth about who God is. They need to understand the truth about Jesus Christ, His Son, salvation, sin, heaven, and hell. He needs to understand what holiness is and the pursuit of holiness is. He needs to be able to understand propositional truth and how to teach it in such a way where people can grasp and glean from its understanding. And it says there very clearly what the elder must do. Look what it says, uh, verse 9. He must first, what? Hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Meaning this, he's to to cling firmly to the Word of God. He's to be fully devoted to the Word of God. He adheres wholeheartedly to the Word of God. It implies this, that, that he's unshakable when it comes to his desire for the Word of God. He's unyielding. He's got conviction. He has commitment to biblical truth and the elder is fiercely loyal to upholding all of god's truth he doesn't want to let it go he's not ready to abandon truth and to embrace the culture he's not ready to say yeah the word of god is does a pretty good job but but i'm going to add a few extra things of my own to to kind of add to the truth because the word of god actually isn't sufficient he doesn't, he doesn't have a loose grip on the Word of God that, that when it comes to a passage in Scripture that he doesn't like, he, he goes to another source to find what is actually the truth and then, and then push that into Scripture. No, he believes wholeheartedly in the Word of God. He understands that, that power and transformation comes from the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. It's very valuable to him. It's precious to him. He embraces it. He holds firmly, as it says, to the trustworthy word as taught. It's as David would say, that the word of God is sweeter than honey. It's more precious than gold. And the elder in the church, the shepherd of the, of the flock of God, knows that, believes that is convinced that the best thing that he can give to his people is the Word of God. Absolute truth. Pointing people to the Creator. Pointing people to their Savior. In fact, the thought of preaching or teaching anything else in the mind of an elder that is outside of the Word of God is simply a joke. Why? Why would an elder do that? Why would a shepherd do that when the Word of God is sufficient? This is exactly what, what Paul was trying to tell Titus and, uh, and to Timothy as well. If you want to look back in your, in your Bible to, to first, first Timothy chapter 2, you can see this running theme of Timothy needing to preach and teach the Word of God. First Timothy two and three through nine, and then also in First Timothy chapter four and in verse six, it says, "If 
you put these things before the brothers. We, we looked at this, these verses yesterday, men, at the, the men's breakfast. But think of it now in light of this, as we hear these things. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine, there it is, the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for this present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now here it is, verse 11. Command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, if you just flip one page over in your Bible to 2 Timothy 2, says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will what? Who will be able to teach others also. Keep going in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In verse 16 and 17, and in the chapter 4, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed, or breathed out, and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1, look what it says. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach anything other than the Bible. Oh, what does it say? It says, preach the word. Preach the Bible. Preach the doctrine. Preach the truth of God's word. And be ready to do that whenever the season allows for it. Use it to rebuke, reprove, exhort. Do it with all kinds of patience. This is the primary role of an elder. This is his job to devote himself to the Word of God, to study the Word of God, and then to teach and preach the full doctrine of the Word of God because he knows and he believes that it is best for his sheep, it is best for his congregation, it is best for his people. One of the big criticisms of the church today is this. Maybe you've heard this. The church is not relevant enough anymore. The church is not contemporary enough anymore the church does not need doctrine anymore on Sundays in fact what we need is less doctrine and more self more stories more more um, more self-help sermons less teaching on Jesus and more teaching about the people and about the culture once the church can figure out that the Bible's archaic and it was for its time and it was in the past and understands that we live today and in our culture, and we start having relevant sermons about today and what's happening in our world behind us, then the church will become relevant again. The world says we don't care about doctrine. We don't care about teachings in the Bible. We want sermons that have to deal with me, that have to deal with my felt needs. Why are we teaching doctrine? Why are we teaching propositional truth 
It's not helpful anymore. Have you heard the criticisms? And on the onset, that, that sounds like, yeah, you know, you're right. Like the Bible's kind of old. It kind of has some things in there we don't really understand. And things that, you know, maybe they aren't for today is, the, is what, what they would say. How about we teach, you know, ways to be happy and ways to not have anxiety and ways to have a healthy marriage and, and, and let's have some sermonettes for Christianettes and, and let's meet the felt needs of our people and let's do that apart from the Word of God. Let's give people just what they, what they want, forget about what they need. That's the criticism. For a preacher to think, that he can stand in the pulpit and take worldly ideas and the philosophies of men and jam them into a verse and then say to the people, this is what God says is deceitful. The reality is this. You don't need more culture in your life. You don't need more self-help sermons in your life. What you need is Jesus Christ and Him crucified in your life. What you need to hear is that God is sovereignly on His throne. What you need to hear is that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. When life throws you a curveball and, and puts you in a ditch and, 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 and things are going sideways in your life, what you absolutely do not need is a movie review on Sunday morning. You need to be reminded who Jesus Christ is. You're dealing with a terminal illness. You need to be reminded that Jesus Christ is on his throne and that he loves you as his own and everything's going to be all right. You need to be reminded of the promises of who God is. That's what you need. You need to know how to deal with life, and the way to deal with life is to put your eyes on Jesus Christ and remind yourselves of the promises of Scripture. And when an elder or a shepherd abandons that for the world, they are doing you a massive disservice. They're to cling to the Word of God. They're to love the Word of God because they believe what you need most is to be reminded of who Jesus Christ is in your life. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, you need to have Him in your life. And they point you to Scripture. And they remind you of who God is. When things are going sideways in my life i want to know who god is i want to be reminded of the promises of scripture otherwise i'm going to shrivel up spiritually because all i'm going to be reminded is oh, i just need to dig down deeper into my life i just need to pull up my bootstraps and and go for it no 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 i no, what i need is to be reminded of of the love of jesus christ steve lawson says this about preaching he says this about this very same thing. He says, This famine in pulpits across the nation reveals a loss of confidence in God's word to perform its sacred work. While evangelicals affirm the inerrancy of Scripture, many have apparently abandoned their belief in its sufficiency to save and to sanctify. 
Rather than expounding the word with growing vigor, many are turning to lesser strategies in effort to resurrect dead ministries. But with each newly added novelty, the straightforward expounding of the Bible is being relegated to a secondary role, further starving the church. Doing God's work God's way requires an unwavering commitment to feeding people God's word through relentless biblical preaching and teaching. That should be the expectation. Is that when you go to church on Sunday morning, you're going to open up God's word and you're going to hear what God has to say. You're going to be reminded of who God is, how he works, how he builds his church. Jared Wilson says this, quote, I saw this this week. He says this, do you know why there are a thousand fresh self-help books every year? It's because they don't work. (laughs) We need the truth, right? The truth works. The truth helps. And elders need to be committed to the preaching and teaching of God's word as the highest value and practice in the church. And sometimes you come and you're like, I don't really have like five things to change after that sermon. I just, uh, it's still good to be under the teaching of God's word to change your thinking about what you believe. Thinking rightly is worship. Thinking rightly is worship. Here's two reasons why elders need to hold fast to the truth of God's word. It's right there. You can pick them out for yourself. The word so that, whenever you're reading the Bible, is very helpful because this is basically, this is why. So that is translated, this is why. Here's why. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Number one is this, to teach sound doctrine. The elder desires to teach the church sound doctrine, the truth. Now listen, this could be done in counseling. This could be done in Bible studies. This could be done in one-on-one at a coffee shop. It could be done with a group group of men. It could be done... Uh, with kids at at a VBS. There's many avenues and many ways to teach the Word of God. But people know that the epicenter of the church is the Word of God, is the teaching of the Word of God. And the elders seek to, to know the whole counsel of God. The elders are not a one string guitar where they can say the same thing over and over and over again. But they teach the whole counsel of God knowing that it has lasting change. Number two is this. Not only that they would be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, but also rebuke those who contradict it. We'll talk more about this next week as we get into verses 10 to 16. But this is very important because elders are the guardians of the good news. They rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. They're the gatekeepers to make sure that there's nothing within the church that would refute or go against the the sound teaching of God's word. They're careful to guard those who would say anything that is against the word of God. And they're alert. They're on guard, protecting the purity of the teaching and the purity of the gospel. And we need to remember this, that the church is... Satan's number one target. He is trying to destroy the church, and so he's doing everything he can to destroy this very thing that draws people into Christ, and he'll do everything he can to bring it down, including planting people within the church to destroy it. 
sheep, wolves, wolves who are covered in sheep's clothing. In fact, I believe this, that the greatest danger to the church is not on the outside. The greatest danger of the church is on the inside. Those who want to come in and destroy it from the inside out while acting as if they are doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. And so the elders have to be on guard against those within the church. In fact, there's an illustration in Matthew 13. We'll, we'll look at it closer next time, but it's about the elders, essentially the leaders, falling asleep. And when they fell asleep, people arose, the weeds rose within them and choked out every good thing because they weren't alert. This is exactly what he's speaking of. As it says in verse 10, there are those who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Verse 11, what does it say? They must be silenced. Why must they be silenced? They're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what ought to be taught. And so the elders must be the ones who confront those who are upsetting whole families. They, they confront those who are tearing families apart because their teaching is shameful. And they become guardians of the truth. To do that, for an elder to do that, for an elder to be able to have sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it, then they must be proficient in Bible knowledge. They must continue to learn and grow in their understanding of what the truth is so that they can contradict those who have false doctrine false truth and this is their primary role in fact it's the only thing that they're told to do feed the sheep it's the only skill that they're told to do i shouldn't say the only thing it's the only skill that they're to have to preach and teach the truth now i want to show you something because this is important before we uh, kind of in this section here on the qualification and role of an elder is for us to understand the difference between an elder and a deacon. The difference between to understand, okay, you have the role of an elder and you have a role of the deacon. What is the difference between the role of an elder and the role of a deacon? Well, let's go over to 1 Timothy 3 together. Flip over to 1 Timothy 3 because it tells us what the qualifications of a deacon are. The qualifications of the deacon. I hope this, is, this will be helpful for us to understand the the importance of the role of an elder in understanding what the difference between a deacon and an elder is. It says in verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified. I'm in 1 Timothy 3.8. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold fast the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderer, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacon gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So the first thing we need to understand is that the qualification of a deacon and an elder as far as character and integrity are the same. The only difference between an elder and a deacon is the skill of and ability to teach. That's the only thing that would separate the two. Now look at me, turn over to Acts chapter 6, so we can see kind of a history of understanding where the deacons came from. Acts chapter 6. This is not where the first deacons are chosen, but the principle here 
will eventually build itself and become an office in the church. But this is where we kind of start in understanding the role of a deacon. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Now in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and whom will appoint to this duty. Verse 4, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. You say, what's happening here? Well, uh, what's happening here in Acts chapter 2 is the the birth of the church. The church uh, finally came when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost in in, uh, Acts chapter 2. Peter gets up, he preaches a sermon, and thousands are saved. I mean, thousands upon thousands of say, are saved. By the time we get uh, to Acts chapter 6, you have maybe 10,000 or more believers that are coming together as the church. And there's 12 men responsible for the size of this growing church. And it's just the beginning. It's about to explode into having thousands and thousands more. That's what's happening. It says in these days when the disciples are increasing in number, think of increasing in number each week, each day by the hundreds, if not the thousands. Now what's happening is, is, is these 12 whose role was specifically to preach the word, to go out and preach Christ and him crucified so people can come in to be saved and into the church. What was happening is there were things that were part of the church. The life of the church is described in Acts 2, 42 to 47, that was being neglected. The elders couldn't get to everything. The leaders couldn't do everything. They couldn't preach and pray and serve tables and do all these things that are part of the church life. And because of that, a complaint came to them. The first of many complaints that come... (laughs) To pastors and leaders and teachers over the years. First complaint comes. Hey, you guys are slacking on the distribution of of helping in these areas. The widows are being neglected. People aren't getting their daily food uh, each day. What are we going to do about it? And so what do they do? It says this. The first thing, notice this. The first thing they do is this. They say, verse 3, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They had their priorities right. The priority is what? The preaching of God's word. The priority for the elder is devote themselves to the preaching of the word of God. So what they do is they find for themselves, it says verse 3, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So what there is, is this groundswell, this organic swelling within the body of Christ, where they choose seven men who rise up and take on the service of serving tables, helping out with the widows, helping out with the daily distribution of food. Why? So that the elders can concern themselves with the preaching and prayer. In fact, that's exactly what it says, verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of 
the word. The apostles understood their calling. It was to not to neglect the preaching and teaching of the word of God. They, they would not neglect that which was primary and most important for the people. And they were determined to not anything, let anything, even good things, needed things in the church, distract them from being able to carry out their primary purpose, their primary duty to preach and pray. And so they gave the task away. They gave the task away. Seven men rose up. Eventually, over time, again, these are not first elders and deacons as as to the official title, but over time, they had built upon this same principle where eventually there would be elders in the church who devote themselves to preaching and prayer. Then there would be the deacons in the church who would devote themselves to the serving task of the church, organizing and helping with responsibilities, caring, helping to care for the needs of the people within the church. The, the roles expanded into women as well who would come in and help out as, as deaconesses in the church until you have these two defined roles, elders and deacons. What's interesting, too, when it comes to uh, the deacons of the church is that their value to the church are their service. Their service. Coming alongside elders in a totally different role to help complete a leadership team designed by God for a healthy church. Let me simplify this for you so you guys can have, a, have this understanding. It's a simple statement. We'll put it on the screen. Elders serve by leading and deacons lead by serving. That's the difference. Elders serve by leading and deacons lead by serving. So as things come up within the church, men and women come alongside and say, hey, I want to take that off your plate. I want to go and I'll manage that myself. I want to do that for myself. I want to build this ministry. I want to do these things. And the elders can continually uh, devote themselves to the preaching and teaching of God's word. And the church, if you go back to Titus chapter 5 and verse 1, you put those things together. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. All right? This is why elders... And deacons are so important in the church is so that the church would have order and be organized. Because, as I said, as the leadership goes, so goes the church. Our church is three years old, a little over three years old. Does COVID count as a year? I don't even know. Like, I feel like the, you know, the, the home run leader, Barry Bonds, has an asterisk next to his name because he's the home run leader because he took steroids along with a lot of those people in that same era did it as well. Um, like, is that, do we get a COVID asterisk for a year for the, the life of our church? We desire to get to this point as a church. We want to be a biblical church. We want to have elders in place, which we have, but we need to have deacons in place as well. We need a ground swelling of people who rise up and say, you know what? I've noticed the importance is, is for you to preach the word. And I want to take off things off the elders plate so that so you can do your job and I can do my job. And we serve together in the family of God in this way. We, that's where we want to be. We're not there yet. But we're inching our way closer to be there. And it takes a family of God to make that happen. 
It takes people to say, hey, I've got gifts and abilities, and I want to contribute in some way. We totally fight against 100% at Redemption Hill Bible Church, consumer church. Consumer church. You are here in a part of this church. That means there's a place for you to serve and use your gifts in this church. The worst thing for you to do is to come, to sit back, enjoy the music, listen to the teaching, and leave without contributing to the needs of the saints. And it's the job of the elders and the deacons to find that place for you where you are contributing and helping and serving. Listen, there is so much work to do in Bellevue. So much work. So many people need the Lord. So many people need to grow in their faith. So many people need to come to know Christ and mature in godliness that it takes an entire church to do so. It's my job as your pastor to get it organized and to find a place for you so that you can enjoy the blessing and the benefit of serving God with your life, devoting your life to God. There's no greater joy and blessing in life than when you say, okay, God, use me. I want to be used. I'm tired of sitting on the bench. I'm tired of looking at everybody else do the work. I want to jump in the game. That's what we want to do here at our church. And we need to get to a place where we can do that. Elders, deacons, servants in the church ready to serve one another obviously we're a little bit handicapped here the, uh, our hands are tighter a little bit because we've we've got restrictions upon us so we're not able to do what we can do but those are starting to get lifted more and more and as those get lifted more and more there's gonna be more opportunity for people to serve in the church and that's where i want to see you guys raise your hand and say hey put me in i want to do this i want to be a part of this while the elders continue to equip and train and devote ourselves to the preaching and teaching of God's word. And together, we serve the Lord in this way. Next week, verses 10 to 16, we'll look at the importance of why we need to guard the truth from air and the problems that were arising on the island of Crete because they did not do that very thing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word truly lord i don't just want to say that but you've given us a guide to live by you haven't left us here on earth just to make up church on our own to make up things we want to do on our own or to even try to figure out life on our own on our own you've given us the word of god as an instruction manual how to live life here on earth and you've given us a blueprint for a healthy church I don't think anybody wants to be in a church that's not healthy I think we all desire to be in a healthy church and we're striving for those things we desire to be that and God we have to get to a point where we care more about what you think than we do about what the world thinks and we've got to get to a point where we realize that the the best thing for me to do is to be a part of the local church in such a way that I, that I serve in it. That I don't sit back and just consume and take it all in and be a spiritual cul-de-sac, but one that has outlets for service 
and to help one another. Lord, give us a desire for that and also give us opportunities for that. As we continue to build your church here on earth, specifically here in Bellevue and on the east side. Lord, I pray for the elders of this church as we cling to the word of God, as we teach the word of God. Lord, I do pray for your protection over all of us in that way. In Jesus' name.